Spencer, this week's episode of the podcast brought to us by our good friends at Strava. You know, last weekend we talked about Athletes Unfiltered, Strava's new podcast. They have a new episode out. I gave it a listen. It's it's pretty powerful stuff. They have three athletes talking about their individual uh, bouts with adversity and how it got them to do cool stuff. You know, this one guy, uh, Austin Reba, a mountain biker in Santa Barbara who saw all his trails go up in smoke with the Thomas Fire. He created a pretty cool app all around uh, trail maintenance, trail building. Now, I know you used to work for Imba. Why is something like this so important? Yeah, he created a really cool app called Trail Care, which is a database of trail organizations around the country. He's got 25 organizations now. And what a mountain biker like, like myself can do is you sign up for the app and you can donate on a per mile basis. And the local trails you're riding, it, it will connect to the local organization that maintains them. And so when he saw that fire destroy all his trails, he realized how much time, effort, and money goes into maintaining and rebuilding trails. So it's a really cool story that's part of this Rising from the Ashes episode. And there's two others that are quite inspiring as well. Again, it's athlete unfiltered the Strava podcast check it out on iTunes Google Play wherever you get your podcasts let's get on with the show welcome back to the Villanews podcast I'm Fred Dreyer I am coming to you from the bowels of the Villanews world headquarters guys it snowed last night it snowed a lot it sure did mm. I, uh, I, I had ambitions of potentially riding my bicycle to work today alas uh, I would have had to have been on a fat bike. Ambitions as a rider, like Tupac? Yeah, no, 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 not this type. Uh, we had fat biking going on in Colorado this past weekend, actually. There was the Fat Biking World Championships. Oh, yeah. Butte. Big event. I went to it one time. It was really cold. You went to the first one, didn't you? Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Man, you were there before, before it got all commercial. Got super cool. Did you race yeah. it? Yeah. I did not. Uh, I just hung out and watched all the people ride around in fat bikes and crash. Cool event, though. I, I suggest everyone check it out. Check out their social feed. Yeah. Have fun videos on there. Uh, we're not talking about fat biking this week, though. We have World Tour Road Racing back in our lives because the Tour Down Under is over. But now we have the Cadell Evans Great Ocean Road Race, the one-day race with quite the acronym name, Seagore. Seagore. It sounds like a Game of Thrones like um, uh, character, you know? Seagore. Mm-hmm. Sandor. Seagore. Close yeah, Seagor would yeah. be—he's like an eight-foot-tall giant oh, who yeah. whacks people with a sword. Mm-hmm. Seagor. We have the Seagor to talk about, and it's Victor Elia Viviani. We're gonna have a little discussion about him. Uh, second half of the show, we're gonna talk all about the upcoming cyclocross world championships going on in Bogenza, or I've heard it pronounced Boenza, mm. Denmark. If we have any Danish listeners, oh, is pl- Lars out there? Please, please email Spencer. Get get Lars Maybe going call on him, Twitter. Skype yeah. him. And uh, give them the proper pronunciation for Bogenza. But we have Crossworlds coming up, and it's going to be a really exciting one because we have a lot of different riders peaking right now. And I think depending on the course conditions, at least in the women's race, we could see, I don't know, one of 20 riders take the win. Yeah, and I will say that World Cup, uh, Hooger Haida over the weekend, very unexpected kind of race unfolded in that men's race too. So, Yeah, so maybe are, are we going to have a Vanderpool or an, uh, an Atune winning? Good have a, question. A tune Victor? It certainly seems like one of those two, which is a little surprising. I would have thought at the start of the season, you know, Van Aert, Vanderpool as usual, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, well, you know, sometimes you got to watch the tune. Uh, and then finally, we have a great interview. Spencer, who is this gentleman who you interviewed? Yes, I got on the phone with Dom Van Reith 
who's a professor in uh, Belgium at Leuven, University of Leuven. And we like to call him Professor Cyclocross around the News office because he's always tweeting with very interesting insight into television viewership data from Flanders, from Belgium, to sort of enlighten us about whether cyclocross is growing or decreasing in popularity. So I talked all about that with him. Awesome. Yeah. So he is the guy, he's the, the, the main man of low countries cyclocross viewership. And uh, we're going to get educated from Dom. Uh, well, guys, let's get into it. Cadell Evans, Great Ocean Road Race, held this past weekend. Elia Viviani takes the win. And afterward, we had a very interesting story on our website from Andrew Hood, who was at the race, about the various reasons why, in just its fifth year, this race really seems to have solidified itself as you know, with a place on the calendar, but also seems to be a favorite race amongst some of the teams and riders. Spencer, what can you tell us about the Cadell Evans Great Ocean Road Race, longest, long, very long, unruly race name? Yeah, the, the race name's a little troublesome, but it is, it's amazing what they've done. In just five years, this race has been around. It's become a world tour event. It attracts some very top riders. And that's something that in, Andy Hood pointed out in his story is that a guy like Elia Viviani, he really legitimately wants to show up and try and win this world tour race. It's a big deal for him. He puts it alongside some other races that have probably been around much longer and perhaps attract a lot more attention from your traditional European media or fans. But here's Elia Viviani winning this race. And it's also a, a cool race because it does seem to have some a bit of an X factor. It's not necessarily a sprinter's race. For instance, last year, Jay McCarthy won it, and he's perhaps more in the category of a climbing sprinter or a puncher. Yeah, it's one of those races where you never can quite tell up until the last couple of seconds, really, whether it's going to even come down to a sprint. I think the first two years of the race, it was a small group or a lone guy getting away in one, and then we've had some some sprint wins, and I think that adds to the uh, as the suspense makes it a much better race when you don't quite know, okay, it's going to be a sprint every single time. Tough climb in the last 10K, which sort of leads to that dynamic. And the other thing I think that's great about the Cadella Evans Great Ocean Road Race is they do equal prize money for the men and women. And they are also expecting to make the women's race a world tour race probably in the near future. Yeah. So this race, uh, one of the things you know we mentioned, it's unpredictable. So it starts in Geelong. It goes out on this long, great, great ocean road. Apparently it's extremely windy. Uh, there's cross winds that come in from the ocean that batter the peloton really break it up then they come back into town and they hit some challenging climbs or they hit a challenging climb which tends to break up the race further and you know we see this a lot of times with races that are quite young we saw this with the strada bianca where in the first few years of a race you know, the riders, they, they don't dial it in. You know, they can't game plan it. Now, a race like Genwevelgem or the Tour of Flanders, some race that's been around forever, uh, by and large, there's an ebb and flow that goes on with the race. Riders know when breaks are going to go. They know when uh, various landmarks can create strategy. And, you know, with a race like this that's so young, it's, it seems like the peloton is still getting a feel for it. I agree. And it's, it's cool that it has a variety of elements so that it, it can encourage a variety of different winners. And, and that's what we want to see. I'm looking forward to seeing where this race goes in the future. They're calling it Australia's Classic. I so know. I, what, another thing I like cool. about this, pre-race people's ride. 
that drew ne- nearly 4,000 public Oof. riders. Yeah, and that's something that race organizers are always talking about. How do we get how do we get enthusiast riders involved? How do we tap that as a source for, you know, potentially income in terms of charging registration, but also fans and general interest and it looks like they're they're achieving that quite quite effectively. 4,000 people is a lot. So I watched the sprint a few times over and over again, and um, as he has done once before this year, Elio Viviani was the strongest. It, it was a very close sprint between him and Caleb Ewan, but Viviani got it by, uh, you know, a fraction of a wheel. And it really seems like Viviani right now, uh, this is the second year in a row where he is starting the season on top form, really starring at these early races. Dane, what can you tell me about Elio Viviani? He's one of your favorite riders in the peloton. Why are these victories so important to Elio Viviani? Yeah, Viviani's got an interesting story in that he only recently, and, and he's 29, he'll be 30 in a couple of weeks here, he only recently has had this freedom to be the featured guy for his team because for a few years there he was racing with uh, with Cannondale, the old Cannondale uh, liquor gas team, and, and you know Sagan was on that team. He goes over to Team Sky. Of course, he... You know, when racing Grand Tours at Team Sky, you're not the featured guy unless you are a climber. So, or named Chris Froom. Yeah, well, he's a good climber. <laughs> yeah. uh, Viviani would get you know his chances every now and then, so he w- would pick up a, a win or two, but it just wasn't really coming down to him to be the featured guy. So he went to Quick Step in 2018, and you know there was a lot of talk about how he was going to suddenly explode, and, and he did. I mean, he really lived up to the promise, and he was initially meant to be their kind of backup guy. To Fernando Gaviria, well, Fernando Gaviria has now left Quick Step for the UAE team, leaving Viviani as the main sprinter for one of the you know powerhouse teams of the peloton. So it's a lot of pressure on his shoulders, I think. But he's done a really nice job so far of living up to the hype, uh, hype that's been around him for quite a while. Because Viviani, although he wasn't maybe a featured guy on these teams, he's been a, a known commodity as an Olympic track talent. He's a Omnium gold medalist in the Olympics in 2016. So people who have been around the sport, particularly those who like watching racing in the velodrome, know who Viviani is from that side of things. He's quite good at it, but uh, the road has been his real focus these last couple of years. Spencer, when you think of the pantheon of world tour sprinters, this small pantheon, you know, where do you mentally put Elia Viviani up against, you know, some of the other fast guys? Like, do you have him as fast as Gaviria? Do you have him in your mind as fast as Kittel? Where do you see Elia Viviani slotting in? Well, if you're talking just about pure sprinting form of the moment right now, I think he proves to be a little more versatile than a guy like Marcel Kittel. And uh, I, I think he's able to kind of find his way into sprints on courses that maybe have a little bit of hill to them, that sort of thing. I, I don't know. I guess that's just my kind of off-the-cuff sense of his his ability. I don't think he has the same raw sprint power as uh, as as a Marcel Kittle. He's, uh, he does seem to really end up finding himself in similar similar races as as Peter Sagan in terms of what suits him, I think. But maybe he's not quite as adept as Sagan at, at really finding the finish line first. Yeah, I see him as a poor man's Fernando Gaviria. Okay, um, yeah. He is versatile enough, but I don't see him as traditionally having the same ability in the drag race sprints, no. the long, flat sprints. I see him as a second tier in the long drag race sprints traditionally. But... 
I think the interesting wrinkle as we head into 2019 is the fact that Gaviria has left Quickstep. Quickstep, we all know, is a team that has power in numbers. It's probably the best team out there for assembling a lead out, for chasing down breaks, for setting up sprinters and putting them in positions to win. And the team did that two years ago with Marcel Kittle. It did it last year with Fernando Gaviria. And now that Gaviria has left because they didn't have enough money to pay him and you know, probably a lot of other different reasons, Viviani is the guy. And so the big story, the big question I have is Viviani has always been uh, number two, second fiddle, second banana. Now in 2019, he's going to be Quick Step's first banana. And do we think he is going to have as much success as their marquee sprinters in the past? I certainly think he can have as much success in terms of race wins. I think the big thing with Viviani is he just has never raced the tour as a contender. And that's why nobody really puts him up there with guys like Gaviria, Kittle, Cav, whoever you want to put at that top tier. Viviani's raced one Tour de France. It was as a kind of backup to Peter Sagan, I think back in 2014. He's never gone and contested the Tour sprints because he is Italian. He likes to race the Giro. I think until you race the Tour de France... Nobody is going to put you in that category, no matter how many Giro d'Italia stages you win. And that's the big problem. He, I think he has the potential to win those stages, but I don't know. And I don't think anybody does because he just hasn't actually gone up against those guys at that level. He's never raced some of these kind of newer top-tier sprinters, younger top-tier sprinters in a Grand Tour. So it's, it's hard to even say whether he could beat a, a Ewan, a Gaviria, a, a Grunewagen. I don't think he's ever gone head-to-head against any of those guys in a Grand Tour. So it's just kind of impossible to say. Nobody really knows. That's a really good point. And I, to continue on that that line, it's Caleb Ewan is very analogous, I think, to Elia Viviani in this respect, where he hasn't proven himself at the tour yet. Therefore, he hasn't proven himself as a top sprinter yet. It's just you need to you need to have that that tour result to to really stand up against a guy like Marcel Caleb, like Mark Cavendish, Peter Sagan, of course, which he's in a different league in his crazy, versatile, unbelievable skill set. But uh, he's got to do the tour. He's got to do well at the tour. I do think it will be interesting to see Viviani go up against Gaviria, who I think is the fastest man right now. You know, Gaviria has changed teams. He will spend much of this year getting to know his lead out, ironing things out. The same thing we see every year when one of these big, heavy sprinters changes teams. It's You know, they're never guaranteed success. There's they're not some... all heavy. I mean, some of them are a little skinnier. Than yeah, them, well, so. you know what I'm saying. Yeah. The, for the drag <laughs> races. So, but Viviani is coming in with the advantage of, you know, being on quick step and having this well-oiled machine. So I think that is an advantage that he could have. I'm with you, Dane. He's a volume guy. He actually led quick steps win total in 2018. I think he led the whole Peloton's win total. We think of quick step in 2018 with dozens and dozens of wins and Gaviria and uh, Philippe and some of these great winners. And Viviani actually had the most. He had 18 wins last year. I mean, it's a huge number. The other question I have, though, is are we going to see him ever win a classic? Is he a Milan San Remo, a Genwevelgum guy? I mean, when I think of Ilya Viviani, I think of the guy sitting alongside the road after Genwevelgum crying his eyes out. I think he could definitely win Get Wevel Gun. The race in past years has been, I mean, there's been bad weather and it's kind of come down to some sketchy finishes. But I think in a pure sprint and fine weather, which happens all the time at Get Wevel Gun, he could certainly win that race. You don't often get a lot of very top tier sprinters at Get Wevel Gun. You get guys like Ellie Viviani who are, you know, decent on the cobbles as well. So yeah, he'll have to beat Sagan. He'll have to probably beat Fernando Gaviria, but I think that's possible. So I think uh, Genwevelgum is certainly within his reach. Sanremo is a tough one. That that last climb, eh, I don't I don't know how much it favors Viviani, but again, we've seen that race. Although there have been some attacks to win in the last two years, we've seen a lot of just 
straight up sprints in that race. And I think he could win that. I like Viviani for San Remo. I really do. Caleb Ewan, let's not forget, was second in San Remo last year behind the attack of Vincenzo Nibali. I, I think Viviani could completely be a factor at San Remo and, and not to mention some of the other sp- sprinter classics like Shigella Price, that would be a that would be a fine race for him to win. One big thing about Viviani that he showed last year in comparison to a lot of other sprinters was the ability to stay on his bike all year, which Gaviria very much did not do. Gaviria is super into crashing. Yeah. yeah uh, you know, Mark Cavendish absolutely did not do that last year. He no. he had some issues and he got sick. Uh, you know, Marcel Kittle just had a totally off year and wasn't just wasn't very good. I don't and I don't know that there's any good reason for that. But Viviani seemed to he didn't really have any kind of down periods like that. And that helps when you're trying to go for those wins. I mean, maybe you show up at San Remo and two or three of your biggest contenders crashed or are sick, and Viviani's shown a propensity to not do that, which is pretty important. Mm, or, you know, your competitors like hanging onto team cars or something like that. Oh, ooh, Arnold DeMar, jeez. Well, uh, can't do Vincenzo Nibley did that. Yeah, <clears throat> he yeah. went more on center as well. Can't do that either. Uh, well, Elia Viviani, big conundrum for 2019. I think we're all expecting big things out of him. And uh, as one of Dane's favorite riders, we have now checked that box off the list. Talking about, you know. Semi-obscure writer. See you next Peloton. year. Oh, he's not oh, yeah. obscure. I don't think he's obscure know, anymore. Yempy Drucker, he's going to be the next uh, yeah. focus of the... Of yeah. the uh, Remco Evan Napool. Yeah. yeah. Dane's Corner. Nice. Uh, coming up, we're going to talk about Cyclocross Worlds and all of the action for Bogenza. Bowenza? Bowenza. Bogenza. Just keep trying. Just Denmark. Yeah. Okay, we're back. Spencer, Cross Worlds is coming up. You know, it's going on in Denmark. This venue hosted a World Cup in 2017 that provided us some of the wackier images I feel like we've seen from a cyclocross World Cup in recent years because there was a long stretch of the course that went right next to the ocean and it was a windy day that was whipping up these waves. Waves were crashing into the breakers and splashing the riders. Very dramatic. It was dramatic. Very dramatic. It was very great. It'd be great for like an... Instagram model photo shoot where you get out on the rocks, you get the spray coming up, very, yeah, it'd be cool. It would be cool, except that I think that it was also going on later in the day and the sun was going down. Yeah, sunset, man. And it's awesome. just to me, watching the race and seeing the spectators lining it, it looked like ultra cold. It's, it is definitely going to be cold for world championships this coming weekend. That's what I'm hearing. It sounds like temperature is going to be around freezing. That could lead to a pretty fast paced race that the course could be frozen, could be pretty firm. I'm not sure what we can expect in terms of uh, any precipitation or moisture. I think there has been some snow around there recently. So it could be, a, it could be a pretty high speed race. Now, a few of the features that I remember from the World Cup were obviously the section along the ocean that looked really windy and nasty and broke the group up but there were there was a really steep uphill where the riders had to gain a ton of speed like fly halfway up it on their bikes and immediately dismount in order to not like fall back down it and then a couple of tricky descents as well um especially what's going on with the course this year how similar is it to what they saw in uh, last year it sounds like they have made some changes to this course over last year. That's a typical thing that happens when they have a test event and then they, they go through with a, with a world championship race. Uh, generally, uh, that this course didn't get great reviews last year when it was a World Cup. I had talked to Katie Compton about it a while ago, and she wasn't entirely happy with it. There were some kind of awkward downhill running sections, which 
it's not exactly perfect for cyclocross. So I think they've found ways to reduce some of that. And I, I hope that they have a few more twists and turns because that section along the ocean was kind of dead straight and it did lack some features. So th it's like anything where they're tweaking and changing it. And hopefully it will provoke an exciting race. I actually, after I just guessed about the weather, I decided to go ahead and look it up on my computer right now. seems like there might be a chance of some, uh, some rain or snow. Friday into Saturday. Uh, the elite women's race is Saturday, so we could see a sloppy one or a slippery one for Saturday. Sunday's going to clear, so I'm not so sure. But again, this is a long-range forecast, so you never quite know. But hopefully we'll get a little moisture to make for a slippery, exciting race. So in last year's World Cup race in Buenza, we saw a great battle between Matthew Vanderpool and Tunerts. Uh, Matthew Vanderpool had to come from behind to catch Tunerts and uh, took the win. And in the women's race, we saw Sonic Kant take the victory over Helen Wyman. You know, I don't know if I expect similar results coming into this race. We have a lot of different riders on various uh, various levels of form. What can you say about where people are coming into this World Championships right now? Yeah, well, it's interesting that you point out that Tunerts and Matthew Vanderpoel were riding against each other in this World Cup last year because in this final World Cup in Hoogerheide this past Sunday, those were the two guys who were at the front and kind of dicing it up more so than you'd expect given how dominant Vanderpoel has been this entire season. He took the weekend off prior off. He didn't do the French World Cup. And so he was a bit of an X factor. Maybe he needed to refine his race legs in this Hoogerheide race. But I was a little surprised that Tunerts was right there with him. Certainly he had a lot on the line. Tunerts was riding for the World Cup overall. He was trying to beat Wout Van Aert and it just came down to that race. Van Aert didn't look amazing to me. So I'm not feeling like I'm as confident in him being a factor in this world's championship. But Tunerts maybe has found that extra level that he needs to be up there with Vanderpool. Uh, otherwise it might just be another Vanderpool cakewalk. Maybe a good thing to remember though with, with Van Aert, I, he wasn't looking that great last year. That's uh, very true. And then went on and won the world title. So that's, uh, a Worlds is just weird. I feel like that does sometimes happen at Worlds where a rider who maybe wasn't at the top all season kind of comes through and wins the, the rainbow stripes. Yeah, all or nothing. And then speaking of the women's race, you have, I suppose, a similar type of thing where Lucinda Brand, she won the Hoover Heide World Cup solo very strong effort. She's been a real dominant rider in this World Cup season, not necessarily doing all of the World Cups, but the ones she shows up to, she seems to have a, usually one. Yeah, I feel like that'll kind of help her. You Maybe the reason that you sometimes see the dominant rider then not win Worlds is some kind of fatigue factor, but Lucinda Brand has, has kind of only raced, I don't know, like half of the big events, give or take. Yeah. And so maybe the fatigue isn't there. I think that's going to help her a lot if, if she comes into Worlds a little bit fresher than some of these other dominating riders we've seen in the past go on to just kind of fizzle out of Worlds. Very true. Mariana Voss definitely raced a full cross season this year. You have to wonder how much is left in her legs, but she was third at Hoover Haida, so I feel like she's right about where she needs to be. And again, it just depends on who's on their day and what the conditions are like. Uh, Katie Compton also, second place at Hoover Haida, which is great to see. That's her type of race. Hoover Haida, perfect for her when it's muddy like that. She's good at those just power races, the heavy races, there's some running. She looked really strong and wasn't that far off Lucinda Brand, nine seconds. So I'm I'm excited that she's hopefully got a shot at turning her season around because otherwise she doesn't have a lot to show this, uh, this past season. Yeah, in my conversation with Helen Wyman from a month or so ago, she said that she thought it estimated anywhere between 16 to 17 different women who, if the day was right, could win world championships. And uh, I was a bit dubious of that. But now looking at it, uh, she's 100% correct. I mean, Compton, she's had, the, you know, 
season from hell all season long and all of a sudden seems to be coming into great form. Um, you can't count out Mariana Voss, can't count out Lucinda Brand. Um, Sana Kant, does anyone want to count her out? She's, no. been, she's been looking great. Um, and then half a dozen or so other riders. So, I, I mean, the women's race, again, I think is going to be the marquee event. I, I of course, want to see Matthew Vanderpool face off against, well, Van Aert and, yes, Tunerts. But I think that this women's race is going to be a real exciting one. A- anyone remember watching last year's women's uh World Championships. I was in the lobby of a hotel at Winter Park. Like, I wanted to go skiing, but then I turned it on on my phone and I saw the two up battle between Sonic Cotton and Katie Compton. I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm going to hang out. I'm going to hang out and watch this thing all the way to the end. Yeah, that was a thriller. And you really, uh, it was a heartbreaker for Katie Compton because she's, she's come so close to winning World Championships several times. And man, you just hope that she's got one more real shot at it as, as she's getting late in the career at this point. Uh, Mariana Voss, another rider I'm really going to be watching for, not just because, oh, she's one of the best uh, female riders ever, but Mariana Voss has not won a world championship race since 2014, I believe, was her last one. Hmm. Yeah, that probably is right because right. Yeah. she went through a couple seasons where she had some issues with her health, with some injuries. I think she was maybe overstretched trying to do road and cross at the same time. And it would be cool to see her her come back and, and win a world title after a few years away from having the rainbow stripe. Well, yeah, that's been, you know, the, the big storyline around Mariana Voss over the last few years has been the comeback. You know, she took 2015 off. She was fatigued. She had these chronic injuries, and the comeback started in 2016. And it has not been linear. There have been good years, been a bit bad years. But she, you know, a, a world championship in 2019 would be a real milestone uh, in the the greater storyline of Mariana Voss's return. Now, one thing to keep in mind with Voss, she's still relatively young. She's a lot younger than you'd think for somebody who last won a world championship. And back in 2014, she's only 31. I mean, that that's what, nine years younger than Katie Compton? So I would imagine she has a lot of time left to keep on dominating if she can get, kind of get back to that full health and you know back to form. Yeah, she's so prolific. And let's not forget that she also won the World Cup overall this year. So if you could do the double, winning the World Cup overall and World Championships, that would be a massive achievement. Should we make some predictions? We shall. Let's do it. Okay, Spencer. What are your predictions? Are we just doing winners? Or are we going to do podiums? What do you want to do? Let's do winners. Let's do winners. I, I, I've been saying this all cross season. It's going to be Mariana Voss. Voss is my pick, has been my pick for months now. I staked my claim on that a while ago. So don't you try and squat on it. And for the men's? <laughs> and for the men. The men, I uh, the easy choice would be Vanderpool. Uh, I'm going to mix it up. I'm going to say Tunerts. I liked how he was how he was looking at uh, at the Hoover Had World Cup. See, the, the easiest choice is to say Vanderpool, but it's also not because Vanderpool has had a no-show at Worlds the last few years. So, I mean, I'm going to pick him, Matthew Vanderpool. I think he's going to win, but there's, there is definitely uh, some shades of doubt in my mind because hmm. what happens to that guy? Mystery. I don't know. All right, I'm going to say Matthew Vanderpool, and on the women's side, I'm going to say Sonicant. I think she pulls it out. I think she's been rope-a-doping it a little bit this year, starting her season off later, getting motivated towards the end of the season. You know, winning world championships that many years in a row, that's hard to do. Ugh, it's the worst. Oh, Gosh, God, oh, I, I just wish I didn't have to win it all the Man, time. Ugh, so hard. Boring. 
Dane. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Raymond Poulidor's grandson for the win at the uh, on the men's side. Matthew Vanderpool, of course. Oh, I thought you meant David. Yeah, yeah, David Vanderpool. He might be up there in the top ten somewhere. Yeah, I bottom. mean he was a solid 23rd at yeah. the World Cup. So come on. Uh, on the women's side, I'm going with Lucinda Brand. I think she's had too strong of a season for me to uh, ignore her performances so far, and I don't think she's got the the fatigue problem that Vanderpool might have. So I, I like her for the for the World Championship win. She's got that brand name recognition too. Ooh. That was, that was really strong. Spencer. I like that. She was Dutch champion, too. Beat Voss. Oh, it is not so good for yeah. Voss. Huh? Uh, Come on. Lucy Brand knows how to ride a bike. Uh, okay, well, let's continue the cyclocross conversation uh, with Spencer and Professor Cyclocross himself. All right, Dom Van Reith, welcome to the Velo News Podcast. You are coming to us from Brussels, Belgium. Is that right? That's right, yes. How are things over there? Is it uh, nice cyclocross weather? Is it rainy and cold? Well, um, now it's, it's rainy and cold, but it has been uh, uh, the start of the season was was rather warm and, and dry. So uh, especially the the Belgian riders, uh, they like muddy races, and uh, they were uh, they were waiting for the rain to come. But uh, by the end of December, the rain started to come, so that was uh, alright to them. Mm-hmm. And so we have you on the podcast today because you are a professor of economics at Leuven University, and one of your passions is tracking viewership among Flemish cyclocross fans uh, across the season of cyclocross. How did you get started doing that sort of thing? Well, uh, I initially started um, collecting TV data, TV audience data um, for for cycling in general. And at the start, it was only the Tour de France. But um, gradually, I started collecting data from other races and then also for football and, and then finally also for cyclocross. So I, I, I follow a lot of uh, of websites in different countries and and um, and, and, and try to, to find trends in, in TV viewership for sports in general and so also for, for uh, uh, cyclocross. Yeah, it seems like you have quite... An- a big slate of sports watching any given weekend. I feel like I saw one of your tweets a while ago where you said something about how you'd need a bunch of screens so that you could watch uh, semifinals in a hockey tournament and biathlon and downhill skiing and cyclocross and Scottish snooker, all sorts of sports. I don't even think I've ever yeah, watched. Yeah, I think there's, <laughs> there's not a single sport I don't watch, I think. And um, yeah, I'm, a, I'm a, uh, an avid uh, sports uh, viewer tv viewer and um yeah when when there's a lot of sports on i have different screens to follow all the sports uh, simultaneously so do you at when you're when you're in your in your work as a professor at love and do you actually have a class that's dedicated to studying uh, the trends in viewership for sports or, or even specifically cyclocross or cycling? No, I just have courses in, in general economics, in micro and macroeconomics, and I don't have a, a real course in, in sports economics. So sports economics is my research um, topic, and I, I do a lot of, of uh, research and I write on, on sports economics. But my teaching job is, is, is uh, general economics. I bet that would be a really popular class, though, if you were going to teach a, teach a class about, about sports viewership, though. I would, I would sign up for that. Yeah, but we don't have that um, course in, <laughs> um, in at my university at this moment. So unfortunately, yes, it's not the case. Well, maybe someday, maybe someday. So around maybe. yeah, around here in the Velo News office, we we've been following your tweets. We keep an eye on uh, your your data that you have on viewership of cyclocross races specifically. Around here, we kind of like to joke. We call you you Professor Cyclocross because it seems <laughs> like you always have, have the inside line on what's happening in the world of cyclocross, at least in terms of overall uh, viewer interest, especially in, in uh, the Flemish regions of Belgium. 
And now what really caught my eye was a little while ago over the holidays, you tweeted about the GP Sven Nice, its viewership numbers, and they're pretty considerably down for the for the most recent edition of the race. They're, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, 22% down over last year. And then yes. it looked like the high level of viewership was back in 2012, and it's down 32% from then. And mm -hmm. I gotta, I gotta ask you off the top: Is this a, is this a sign that uh, European cyclocross is in trouble? Is, is there, uh, is there a problem over in, in the heartland of cyclocross? Well, we, we have to make a distinction between European uh, interest and, and Flemish interest for, as a start, because I think European interest is, is already down for, for many years. I mean, uh, 20 years ago there was interest in, in Switzerland and in the north of Spain and then in uh, Czechia and uh, Czech Republic. Uh, and, and that has slowed down a lot. And um, now I think in Europe it's only in, Fla in Flanders and in, in the Hol in the Netherlands that it's, there's real genuine interest. And then if you look at, at Flanders, um, we had a wonderful time. Um, there was a lot of interest in cyclocross between, let's say, 2010 and 2015, because we had still we still had Sven Nees, There was uh, Niels Albert, um, so there was a. They were real popular stars, and now we only have uh, Wout van Aert, um, which is a, of course a very good rider, but he he does not have the same. Um, he's, uh, he doesn't not generate the same interest with, with, with people in, in Flanders, um, and and of course now with with the dominance of, of Van der Poel, which is which is great from a sporting point of view, but which is not great for uh, for viewership. Uh, this dominance, uh, this, this this results in, in a decrease in viewership, in, in, especially in Flanders, and and we notice that the last couple of years the, the viewership was down, let's say between. Two, three percent, and, and seven, eight percent um, since uh, Nay stopped in 2015. Uh, but this year, the the drop is is much more significant. And there has only been one race out of 20 that were broadcast in Flanders that that has a small increase in viewership, and in 19 other races also a decrease. So it's it's it, it's a real trend. It's not uh, something random that's happening. It's a real downward trend, and uh, uh, that's what I observed. Yes, that's another thing I'd written down in my notes was that overall viewership in the Flanders region is down 14% on average this season, if I'm not mistaken. And yes. I, and I got to feel like the Flanders region of Belgium is sort of the canary in the coal mine when in terms, in terms of overall cyclocross interest. If, if you can't get the, the Flandrians to get excited about cyclocross, then you can't get anyone, right? I mean, it's, it's such a deeply rooted part of the sporting culture in Flanders. Yeah, but uh, at the same time, you should not over um, overrate the, the, the decrease because it's still half a million of people, uh, Flemish people, watch cyclocross every weekend. So it's still a huge sport. Mm -hmm. It's just that that Fridays are, are over. The, uh, three, four, five years ago, there was real almost everybody watched uh, cyclocross, so to say, and and now we're just down to uh, a little bit uh, lower level, but. It's still at the third best watched sport in Flanders after football and and, and uh, normal cycling. So um, it's it's not that it's um, that the sport is in, in, in trouble and there's lit still a lot of sponsorship and, and companies are still uh, willing to to sponsor races or, or teams. So it's it's not a it's 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 not a, it's not a real problem for the moment. I think it's it's just that it's going down to much more normal level than it used to be five years ago. Maybe this is a little beyond your area of expertise, but perhaps you can give me some insight just as as a Belgian who's there and, and sees it firsthand. Why is it that the fans haven't gotten as excited to see Wout van Aert as they may be used to for Sven Nijs? 
Whoa, that's a difficult one. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just that some some riders uh, have it and some other, some other riders don't have it. It's, it's like in 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 in, um, in cycling and uh, road cycling. Um, why why does uh, Sagan has such so many so many followers and from from not um, the two best riders? So it, I think it's, it's the same, and I think there's. In Flanders, there's as much interest, or there's as there are as many fans for uh, Van der Poel as, as for Van Aert. So it's it's yeah, it's the way they they behave, it's the way they are uh, they react to interviewers and so on. I just think it's well, some riders have it and some riders don't have it, and and of course he's he's popular, but he's, he doesn't reach the same level of popularity like like Bart Wellens or Sainz or um, or Nils Albert. Sort of another question that's maybe also a little hard to pin down, but something I wonder about is when I look at your data, I can see that some races, yes, they're maybe a little bit down, but they perform much better than others. Uh, for instance, you know, there's there's Essen and Ronsi, which which were not particular good, particularly good when it comes to overall viewership. Is there a reason why one of those races might not attract as much interest compared to another race that comes fairly close to the twenty eight or the twenty the twenty seventeen viewership numbers. Well, it's it's very dangerous to to always look at, at just one race or a couple of races because uh, viewership week by week is is highly dependent on 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 external elements like like the weather, for instance, if it's good weather or bad weather, more people are at home or me, more people are outside. Uh, it also depends on 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 other sports competitions. If there's a football game going on at the same time, so you cannot really see you cannot really deduct anything from from races uh, from from looking at one race and that is going down or uh, viewership is going down or, or up. Uh, that's why I look at, at trends and like I said, if you, if you have ten or fifteen races and you see the same trend, then you can can really conclude something. But you, it's very dangerous to to just pinpoint at one race or to say okay that race is, is uh, that that happened. That that's the reason why I I, I did um, specifically point out to the. Uh, uh, Grand Prix Saint Nice, uh, because that race is always on the first of January. It's always all, all people are at home. So the only external factor that that could influence that race is, is the weather. But all the other uh, circumstances are more or less um, the same. So that's that's a good uh, race to to compare over the years. But for other races, it's always very difficult. Also, sometimes they switch from one channel to another. A better watch channel to a smaller channel. So. Um, you, re- you really have to look at, at a lot of races and, and, and then you can see trends, but it's, it's very dangerous to have a uh, look at, at, at just one or two races. Well, that's spoken like a true economist. I'm, I'm sure it's, <laughs> it's a very com- complex issue and, and uh, there's no, no true way to tell. But I do have one very simple question that I, I guess I, I understand that, like you said, a, a real true cyclocross rider, a racer, he wants for it to be muddy or she wants for it to be muddy. But when it comes to the fans, do the fans turn out more when it is muddy and sloppy and cold and gross, or do they like to come out when the weather is nice? Well, I, I can only speak for the Flemish uh, TV viewers, but I think uh, from from what I see from the data is that Flemish TV viewers prefer uh, cyclocross races where it's muddy and it's a slow race, and, uh, and and they don't really like the, the, the races that are um, uh, very fast. Um, well, I think it, it might be the opposite for some, in, in some other countries. I think to, to make cycling more, uh, to make cyclocross more popular around the world, I, I think it needs to 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 have those those quicker races, and, and because the muddy races are. I think are, are not very good um, prom- promotion for for the sports from an international point of view, but 
the Belgian riders like it and Belgian people also like it. So, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it makes for exciting racing. Just you, It's a very unpredictable. Uh, yeah. so, so shifting gears here now, one of the things that you have been pointing out on your Twitter feed throughout the course of this entire season is how interest seems to be growing for women's cyclocross. Uh, what I had written down was it looked like an overall trend was going from the start of the season about 75% viewership share up to um, close to 90% in some races as far as uh, the women's race viewership compared to the men's race viewership. Is there is there anything you can attribute this to or, or do you have some yes, insight on uh, that? Yeah, it's, it's very important to, to have the numbers right there um, because there are two uh, things that, that are happening. There is a genuine interest in, in women's cyclocross. And like you said, uh, and like I mentioned in my tweets, the, if you compare it with men's uh, cyclocross, the percentage uh, viewership is, is growing from, let's say, 70 last year to 85 to 90% this year. We should not, uh, if, if you look at, at, the, at the, the real numbers uh, compared to last year, also for women's cyclocross, they are down in Flanders. So um, the difference is that the, that the, the women's uh, the TV audience for the women's races are less uh, are going down less or uh, than than for the women's for the men's races. So in percentage points, they come closer to to viewership for men's races, but um, it's also going down. I think, think like uh, it was already said for men's races, the overall um, uh, number that is uh, the overall decrease in viewership is is between 15 and 20 percent, and for women's races it's between five and 10 percent only. So the it's 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 not that it's growing the the, the total the global uh, or the average viewership is not growing, but if you compare it to men's racing, it it bridges the gap versus um, the the number of viewers for for men's racing. I see. That's that's very interesting to note that uh, that distinction. Do you, like I said earlier, you watch so many different sports uh, throughout the course of your any given weekend. Do you, what do you compare this to in terms of you've got men's and women's cyclocross? Uh, is there another sport that has a similar dynamic of uh, relatively comparable competition for a women's event that runs alongside? Yeah, uh, I, I always compare um, uh, 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 cyclocross. I, I, I think what cyclocross should do is, is look at, at biathlon, uh, so the sport where they, they ski and then they shoot, uh, and they have a round and then they shoot and then there's another round and then they shoot again. Um, so they're very similar sports. They're both winter sports. They both run on, on a course where public uh, there's public uh, viewing uh, um, alongside the course. But uh, biathlon was, was very much reformed in, in the 90s because it was an old-fashioned sport in the 80s, and so it was completely transformed in, 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 and they, they, they developed new formats. And now it's, it's one of the best watched winter sports in the world. Um, and, 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 and cyclocross is still basically the same like, like in the 1980s, just one hour of racing and, and there hasn't been much innovation. Um, and, and, and it's, it's also highly comparable because in, in, in just like in biathlon and cyclocross, the women's races and the men's races are on the same day, on the same course, the one after the other. And, and you see in, in biathlon that, that the women's races attract uh, at least as many and sometimes even more viewers than, than, the, than the men's races because they are equally attractive. Um, and what they also do in, in, in biathlon, and that's, that was one of my suggestions last year, is, is that they uh, alternate one week. Um, one week it's first men's and then the, the women's race, and the other week it's, it's, the, it's the opposite. Um, so this, this was uh, done, uh, this was also this year the case for cyclocross in, uh, for the US uh, races. Um, but in Europe it's still first the women's race and then men's race. Um, and we see that in, 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 in sports that, that I can compare with, like biathlon, it, it doesn't harm viewership if, if you have the men first and then the women. It, it doesn't it doesn't hurt viewership at all. 
Yeah, that's a really interesting point. And, and certainly here in the U.S., I know that a lot of people were really excited to see the women's racing put in the primetime slot for those World Cups. Mm -hmm. Can you think of any other changes or innovations that cyclocross might consider uh, with that in mind as far as looking at biathlon and seeing that that sport was willing to to shake it up and find ways to keep people excited about it? Yeah, well, one of the, the things uh, that uh, that could be realized is, is have have team relay races. Uh, for instance, you have first a uh, uh, um, women uh, rider that, that uh, does two laps, and then you have a, man, a male rider that uh, also uh, rides two laps, and then you have a four-lap uh, race, um, which, uh, which is kind of a team race. Um, so that's that's one thing that you, that you could uh, could do because you see that more and more sports they are looking at at have uh, mixed events. So you see it in in in, in, um, in a lot of winter sport, but you also see they will not introduce it in athletics. They will also introduce it in swimming, um, where you have uh, relay races that that have men and women combined. Uh, I think there's there's an opportunity in in in. Uh, in cyclocross to have, um, of course, not every week, but from time to time to have that kind of, of relay race. Um. Yeah, I think that would be really cool. And in fact, it's really funny you say that because a while ago here in Boulder, Colorado, where I live, they did uh, sort of a bit of an exhibition style cyclocross relay race. And I hopped into it with some friends and just personally from a participant standpoint, it was really fun. And you could imagine how it would provoke some some exciting racing for the fans since it's a little unpredictable and you might have a really strong rider on the anchor leg for instance that could turn the tables at the very end of the race yes mm -hmm. well I, this has all been very fascinating stuff i really appreciate your time uh and uh hope, looking forward to a few more exciting cyclocross races this season uh dom von reith Professor Cyclocross, as we like to call you around the Boulder Velo News <laughs> office. Um, hopefully we can talk to you again soon and, uh, and we'll definitely be watching for all of your, your insight on, um, on the upcoming races. Okay, great. And also for our listeners, if you want to follow Dom Von Reith's, his, tweet, his tweets about Cyclocross, you can follow him at V-R-D-A-A-M. And that's right on Twitter. That's right. Well, okay. have, have a great evening. Thanks again. Uh, okay, well, Professor Cyclocross, I, I want to meet him. I want to take his class. I want to sit in his classroom and have him uh, teach me about the various business metrics around Cyclocross. He's a smart dude, you can tell. I, I would definitely take a class from him. Yeah, lecturing is, is Cyclocross Ratings 101. Uh, okay, guys, before we get out of here, uh, jump ball question. What, what are you going to be looking for in the next week? of professional bicycle racing. We have racing in Argentina. We have cyclocross world championships. We have all sorts of stuff. What are you going to be looking for? I am going to be looking for Rally UHC to make their European debut this season at the Mallorca Challenge. Mm. Excited to see what the guys in orange can do. I like it. Dane, yeah. what are you going to be watching for? Well, I am going to be watching Rally UHC. Did some, I some, some love for my guys that I was spending time with at training camp. But no, no, I, I'm all about the Vuelta San Juan this week. Ooh. Quite a start list down there. They do a really nice job of getting uh, quite a few big big powerhouse talents to come down and mix it up with the the local guys. Uh, Peter Sagan's there. Julian Alaphilippe just won a stage. Fernando Gaviria. Mark Cavendish coming back from Mono. Nairo Quintana. Quite a few names. And a lot of them uh, you know, having these returns to racing after a, a period off or or in the case of a guy like Remco Evenepoel making their pro debut, he's of course the guy that uh, 
he's like, what's he like the seventh next Tom Bonin he's been discussed as by the, the Belgian media. Poor guy with all this pressure on his shoulders. But uh, I'll be looking forward to seeing him and all the other big stars racing down there at San Juan. A couple of good climbing stages ahead and some nice sprints coming up as well. I will be watching for uh, our U23 countrymen and countrywomen at Cross Worlds. We have really strong U23s. Clara Hansinger, Katie Klaus, Spencer Page, Petrov, Gage Hecht, Lance Heide, others, many others. I'm going to be watching how the U23 Americans do at uh, Crossworlds because I think uh, I think we're capable of doing something really good this year. Yeah, definitely. Hansinger on the podium in the Hoover Hyde World Cup U23 race. Well, we would love your feedback on what we talked about today. You can email us at webletters at pocketoutdoormedia.com. We'll also post links to the stories we talked about today on bellonews.com. Subscribe to the Bellonews podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And while you're there, please leave us a comment and a rating. Become a fan of Bellonews on Facebook at facebook.com slash Magazine. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash News. The Bellonews podcast is produced by News, which is owned by Pocket Outdoor Media. The thoughts and opinions expressed on the News podcast are those of the individual. And as always, we leave you with the Brooklyn Boogaloo Blowout playing the Bernard Pretty Classic Soul Drums. Oh, 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 oh